podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the season three finale of the Farts and Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This episode will be dedicated entirely to our Primavera team. A few people have reached out to me over the last few weeks seeking more information on the Primavera, so thank you so much for that. In part one, I'll talk about two players who I think have become household names now in Giuseppe Ambrosino and Antonio Vergara. In part two, I'll talk about Antonio Cioffi, who was a household name last summer. He had a difficult season, but he should not be forgotten. I'll also talk about goalkeeper Hubert E. Dasiak. Finally, in part three, I'll quickly address a few other players to keep your eyes on. So let's get started. Now, before I get to the players, let me give you a quick summary of how Napoli did in the 2021-22 Primavera campaign for those of you who might not have been following it. We often talk about matches being a tale of two halves. This campaign was a tale of two halves for Napoli. We had a very strong first half of the season which ultimately saved our season because we had a very poor second half. After 11 rounds, we were second in the table, albeit 8 points behind Roma, who were unbeaten to that point. We started to decline after that, but by the midway point of the season, we were still in the top half of the table. We had a record of 8 wins, 1 draw, and 8 losses. We had collected a total of 25 points. That was good enough for 9th place, but only 6 points separated 2nd from 9th, so qualification for the championship playoff remained a realistic target. For those who don't know, the Primavera title is not awarded to the team with the best record at the end of the season. Instead, the top six clubs compete in a playoff to determine the Primavera champion. Roma finished top of the table but lost to second-placed Inter in the playoff final, so Inter are the current Primavera champions. Unfortunately, with the second half of the season that we had, we finished nowhere near the playoff zone. In fact, we ended up in a heated battle for survival. That's because we won only three matches in the entire second half of the season. Now, we did draw six matches as well, so we managed to scrape together 15 points in the second half of the season. That was enough to avoid direct relegation, but it was not enough to avoid the relegation playout, which is played between the third and fourth from bottom of the table. That was still really disappointing though considering we lost our final two matches of the season and both were against clubs that had nothing left to play for. Fortunately, we beat Genoa in the playout by an aggregate score of 4-2 to stay in Primavera Uno. So it was a dramatic season not just in terms of the race for survival but also in individual matches. We had matches where we stole points in the dying minutes but we also had matches where we dropped points in the dying minutes. In terms of our playing style, new coach Nicolo Frustalupi implemented a 3-4-2-1 formation, which some of our players strived under while others struggled to adapt to. In the previous season, Emmanuel Cascione used a variety of formations, but he seemed to favor the 4-4-2 in the end. Now, our early success could be attributed to Frustalupi's high press and resolute defense. Other than a lopsided 6-1 defeat to Sampdoria, 
we conceded only nine goals in our first eight matches. That defensive solidity was largely a consequence of our formation. In particular, it was a consequence of playing with wingbacks. They would either drop to create a five-man back line, or they would congest the midfield. In either case, our opponents had a difficult time breaking through. We certainly weren't afraid to protect one-goal leads. Nine out of our 11 wins on the season were by a single goal. So that's a quick summary of our Primavera campaign. Now, despite narrowly avoiding relegation, we do have a number of players who had standout seasons. So we're going to spend the rest of this episode profiling some of those players. And we'll start with the top goal scorer in the league and the top assist man in the league. As I said, both of them have pretty much become household names for most Napoli fans. Giuseppe Ambrosino led the league with 19 goals in 31 appearances to go along with 5 assists. He also added a goal in the return leg of the relegation playout. Ambrosino is from the class of 2003, so he'll be 19 in September. He is a true product of the Napoli youth system, having joined Napoli at the age of 9. He played for the U17 squad for one season and just completed his second season with the Primavera. Last season in Primavera Due, he scored 7 goals and added 4 assists in 17 appearances. Ambrosino is a true modern number 9, which is a rare commodity these days and therefore a valuable one as well. He has the size, strength, instinct, and finish of a traditional number 9, but he also has the passing, dribbling, and general playmaking abilities of a modern number 9. Ambrosino showed this season that he can score in a variety of different ways. He's listed at 1.82 meters tall or 5 foot 11 inches tall, but I suspect he is taller than that. In any event, he is a threat in the air. And like I said, he has that striker's instinct. He knows where to be and when to be there. He can score from close range. He can score from long range and he can score in tight spaces, largely because he has an excellent first touch. He can also score with power or with finesse. He chipped the keeper on a couple of occasions this season, and he's more than capable of beating the keeper 1v1. That's helped by the fact that he is good on the ball. Having the ball at his feet doesn't necessarily slow him down. Those technical abilities also show up when he contributes as a playmaker. He's willing to drop deep to receive the ball, and he is strong enough to hold up the play. He's also a great passer of the ball. Anyone who's watched him play recently for Italy's U19 team would have seen that delicate pass he played to Christian Volpato in the France game. But perhaps what is most impressive about Ambrosino is his mental strength. There was a brief stretch in the middle of the season where Frustalupi switched from the 3-4-2-1 to a 3-5-2 and as a result, Ambrosino was relegated to the bench. Ambrosino started only one match in seven during that stretch but even as a substitute, he managed to score five very important goals. Two of them proved to be game winners, and the other three pulled Napoli level with the respective opponent. That ability to stay focused and produce, even when your confidence may be down, is a clear sign of mental strength. And who knows, maybe his confidence was not down at all. Maybe he saw that period as a challenge and took it head on. He played so well that Frustalupi had no choice but to put Ambrosino back into the starting 11. In his 12 starts after that period, Ambrosino scored 9 goals and added 2 assists. Now, like most 18-year-olds, maturity can be an issue. I hate to harp on the same point, but he made a costly mistake in the Hellas Verona match, which was the final match of the season. If you listen to our Primavera reviews, you'll already know my frustration with this. 
For those who don't know, Ambrosino scored in the second minute of that match and he celebrated by taking his shirt off. He was shown a very avoidable yellow card and sure enough, with the score all level at 1, he picked up a second yellow. All we needed from that match was a draw to avoid the relegation playout, but down a man, we conceded the game winner. That meant we had to play in the playout to stay up and we had to play the first leg without the top scorer in the league. Curiously, Frustalupi did not start Ambrosino in the second leg either, and I can't help but wonder if that was the coach's very risky way of teaching the young striker that there are consequences for your actions. But other than that, I really don't see any weaknesses in Ambrosino's game. I think we have a real talent on our hands, so that begs the question, what's next for him? We know that Ambrosino will be at the retreats in Di Maro and Castel di Sangro, looking to play his way onto the first team. Now, in terms of squad positions available, it makes perfect sense to keep Ambrosino with the first team. As a Primavera graduate, Ambrosino would not affect the 17 non-homegrown and non-league-grown positions. The question is, would that be the best for his development? Of course, he would benefit from training with the first team and being around Spalletti and some of the veterans in the squad, assuming they're still there. That wouldn't be terribly unfamiliar for him. Ambrosino was called up to the senior team on two occasions this season, once for the return leg against Spartak Moscow in the Europa League and again for the Atalanta match. It's also fairly common for Primavera players to be invited to train with the senior team, even when they're not called up. The issue, not just with Napoli, but with Italian football in general, is that youth rarely get the opportunity to actually play for the senior team. Like I said, Ambrosino was only called up once, and he didn't feature in either match. Now, Ambrosino's fate could rest on the decisions of others. I'm fairly confident Victor Osimhen will play at least one more season with Napoli, but Mertens is only days away from being a free agent, We've already seen Insigne move on, and the latest reports are that Ospina has agreed to a deal with Al Nasser in Dubai. Meanwhile, Andrea Petania has been linked to various clubs. If he's sold, then perhaps Ambrosino could fill his role as the third striker. Curiously, we haven't been linked to too many other strikers. The names that have been floating around out there are Giovanni Simeone and Armando Broia. But I'm not too confident in either of them joining Napoli as much as I would want to have them on our team. I think both of those players would want to be the starting striker, which obviously they wouldn't be with Osimhen here. There's also a ton of competition for Broya, so even if we wanted him, he would be difficult to land. But like I said, if Ambrosino is the third striker, he's not going to play a whole lot. Just look at Patania, who already had plenty of Serie A experience when he joined Napoli. He only played because of Osimhen's face injury. Hence, one alternative is to loan Ambrosino to another club. I doubt he would be loaned to a low-ranking Serie A club because those clubs would want him for at least a full season if not longer. I think a Serie B club makes more sense because Napoli could loan him for half a season at a time. If he's playing really well and we're in need of a striker, we could then recall him in January. Of course, De Laurentiis also owns Bari, so if we loaned Ambrosino to Bari, suspect as that may be, we could maintain full control over how he's used there. Finally, a third option is to keep him with the Primavera. At his age, Ambrosino could play one more season with the Primavera. Now, as with any option, there are pros and cons to keeping Ambrosino with the Primavera as well. The main benefit would be that we could call him up to the senior team anytime we wanted to. However, it could stall his development. 
Ambrosino's game is more likely to improve if he plays against stiffer competition. If I had to guess, I would say that Ambrosino is going to be loaned to a Serie B club. With all the big clubs in Serie B this upcoming season, many are referring to it as Serie A due, so it would be a great place for Ambrosino to continue to develop. Let's move on to the top assist man next. Antonio Vergara is from the same 2003 class as Ambrosino, so the two of them played together in the Napoli youth system, including in the U17 squad. Vergara scored two goals and added three assists in 19 appearances in Napoli's promotion-winning campaign, but he really broke out during the season that just ended. He had 11 assists to go with his two goals through 27 appearances. Vergara missed five matches early in the season with a micro-fracture in his hip, which could explain why it took him a little bit of time to start producing, at least statistically. Personally, I think he was excellent throughout the campaign, it just wasn't showing up on the stat sheet. In his final 13 matches of the season, he had two goals and eight assists. He added two assists in the playout and could have had two more assists, but Napoli failed to convert two of the three penalty kicks that Vergara won this season. Vergara's best position was as one of the two trequartisti in the 3-4-2-1. In the 3-5-2, he still played as an attacking midfielder, but he lined up on the right side of the three central midfielders. Now, Ambrosino gets most of the attention of the Primavera players because he scores a lot of goals, but Vergara is probably our brightest prospect. Three qualities stand out to me most with Vergara. The first is his football IQ. He clearly has a strong grasp of the game. He has fantastic vision. Sometimes he'll make a pass and you're left wondering how he even saw the passing lane. The second is his work rate. Other than the second fixture against Genoa where he just seemed a little bit off, Vergara is usually our most intense player. He fights to win the ball back and he hustles to save the ball from going out to touch. That's actually how we won the return fixture against Fiorentina. In stoppage time, Vergara hustled to save the ball from going out for a throw-in. Then he ran at the Fiorentina back line before splitting between two defenders and drawing a 95th minute penalty kick. Finally, he is a very skillful player. He's got plenty of tricks up his sleeve. Against Empoli, he played a backheel pass into space on the Sacco goal, which was both an example of his skill and his read of the game. Now, he only scored two goals this season, but the first might have been the club's goal of the season. Against Milan, he hit the ball with the outside of his preferred left boot and curled the shot into the side netting at the far post. So Vergara seems to have everything it takes to play at a top level. He's another player who will try to earn a spot with the senior team this summer. Like with Ambrosino, questions abound about whether he can get into the senior team. In Spalletti's 4-2-3-1, I think Vergara can play in the double pivot as a box-to-box midfielder, much like Fabian does today. Alternatively, I think he has the qualities to play as a number 10. Like Ambrosino, as a Napoli youth product, he would not take up a non-league-grown or non-club-grown squad position. Also, being the same age as Ambrosino, the same options would be available to Vergara. Play for the senior team, albeit in a limited capacity, go out on loan, most likely to a Serie B club, or remain with the Primavera for another season. Looking at our squad, I think a loan to Serie B would be best for Vergara's development as well, especially if we're not able to sell Fabian. But even if we sold him, I think we'd need to sign another more experienced player to fill that void, and then I would want someone like Gianluca Gaetano 
to be the backup, not Vergara. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about two more Primavera players that have great potential. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider signing up to our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. It's totally voluntary and there are no tiers. You decide what amount works for you. And if you can't do that, there are other ways to support the show absolutely for free. You can follow our social media accounts at Forza Napoli pod. You can share the show with a friend or you can leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. All of that helps us to reach more Napoli fans. All right, let's continue with the Primavera. I want to talk about Antonio Chofi next. Heading into this season, Chofi appeared to be our most promising youngster. As I mentioned at the top, he had a difficult season and now more people are talking about Ambrosino and Vergara. He missed the first three matches of the campaign due to COVID. For some reason, it took him a really long time to recover. Then he missed the final two matches of the season and both playout matches due to a fracture in his foot. However, he featured in all 29 matches in between. Trophy played predominantly as one of the two trequartisti in the 3-4-2-1. He was also used occasionally as a striker, particularly during that stretch between match days 14 and 20, where Frustalupi switched to a 3-5-2 and moved Ambrosino to the bench. That turned out to be Trophy's most productive part of the season. He scored a total of five goals this season, and four of them were during that stretch of games. Last season, he scored six goals and added an assist in only nine Primavera Dua appearances. His best performance last season was easily the 4-0 win over Virtus Antella, where Trophy was involved in all four goals, scoring a tripleta and assisting on the other goal. Now, he only made nine appearances because he spent most of that season with the senior team, albeit on the bench. He was called up for 20 matches, but only made one substitute appearance in the 6-0 routing over Fiorentina. He played 11 minutes, but he made a good impression and I think left Napoli fans wanting to see more. Unfortunately, he has not featured for the senior team since then. Now, I think it would be fair to say that Trophy regressed this season, but it wasn't necessarily a bad season for him. For those who followed the Primavera, there may be a bit of recency bias because he didn't have the best second half of the season, but he was excellent in the first half of the season, and that should not be overlooked. I also think his slight regression could be because of the change in formation. Trophy's best position is as an inverted left winger, though he's also capable of playing as a traditional right winger. That's where he played in Emmanuel Cachona's 4-4-2 during the 2020-21 campaign. In the previous season, he was used in a variety of positions, and in a variety of different formations. He made 13 appearances, 6 before his 18th birthday and 7 after, which I think was an indication that Roberto Baronio and then later Giuseppe Angelini were trying to figure out the best position for Trophy. He scored only one goal that season, but it was a beautiful direct free kick from the left wing into the top corner at the second post. Unfortunately, that turned out to be Napoli's final match of the season, which was cut short due to COVID. That was unfortunate both for the club and for Trophy specifically. We were second from the bottom of the table when the season abruptly ended, so we were automatically relegated to Primavera Due. In truth, we probably would have been relegated even if we completed the season. At that point, we were 9 points back of safety with only 8 matches to play. 
but it was unfortunate for Trophy specifically because it seemed like he was about to break into the starting 11. Now, like Ambrosino and Vergara, Trophy is a product of our youth system. He played one season with the U-17s, and it's no surprise that he was immediately called up to the U-19s. He started every match that season solely as a left winger, and he wore the captain's armband in all but one match. He scored 14 goals and added 5 assists during that campaign. He also captained the U-17s to the semi-finals of the U-17 championship playoff, so you can see why Trophy was and still is very highly regarded. Okay, let's talk a little bit about his qualities. I think Trophy's strongest asset is his pace, which is primarily why he's best suited to play on the wing. He also has excellent close ball control, which is why he's been used as a striker. He has the pace to get behind the back line and the footwork to carry the ball and finish. I think Ambrosino, Vergara, and Trophy all have the raw talent, but Trophy is definitely the most polished of the three. I think that's likely the result of having trained with the senior team so regularly last season. He's also a year older than Ambrosino and Vergara. Trophy was born in 2002. Now, there is still room for improvement. I think his finishing could be better, particularly if he's playing as a striker. As a winger, I think he would be more of a playmaker than a goal scorer, but it's still important for wingers to be able to find the back of the goal. I also think he has a tendency to take on defenders a little too often, but I'm not terribly concerned about that. You can also look at that as a positive in that it shows he is confident in his own abilities. Also, I'm sure if he spends more time with the senior team, he'll learn when to take on the defender and when to pass the ball. Of course, that depends on whether he will remain with the senior team. I think he'll be competing with Alessio Zerbin for that backup left winger role. Zerbin is left footed, which is something we currently lack, whereas Trophy has the flexibility to play on both sides and in multiple positions. Zerbin also has a full season in Serie B under his belt, so as much as I want to see Primavera players play for the senior team, I think Trophy would also benefit from playing a season in Serie B. If he does leave the Primavera, then I suspect Pasquale Maranzino would be next in line to take his place. The final player I want to speak at length about is goalkeeper Hubert Idasiak. Like Trophy, Idasiak is from the class of 2002. In August of 2018, he signed with Napoli from the youth team of Polish club Pogon Szczesin. So this was his fourth season with Napoli, and he's improved with each season that has passed. In his first season, he conceded 33 goals in 17 appearances and recorded three clean sheets. Then in 2019-20, he made four more appearances, but only conceded one more goal, though he also had one fewer clean sheet. Then he excelled against the weaker competition in Primavera Due, including the Primavera playoff. He conceded only 17 goals in 18 appearances, and he recorded 10 clean sheets. In other words, he averaged less than a goal against per match, and he kept a clean sheet in over half the matches he played. Finally, in 2021-22, he conceded 44 goals in 30 appearances and recorded 4 clean sheets. So his goals per match went up and his clean sheets went down, but obviously the competition in Primavera Uno is more difficult than in Primavera Due. Also, we conceded 9 penalty kicks this season and 8 of them were converted, so Idasiak allowed only 36 goals from open play. That's an average of 1.2 goals per match, which is really impressive for a club who was fighting for survival. And on many of those goals, there was very little he could do, 
though a few goals were direct consequences of mistakes that he made. One area that needs improvement is Idasic's read of the flight of the ball. He conceded a goal against Genoa where he misread the flight of the ball. That ultimately didn't change the outcome of the match, though it did cost himself a clean sheet. He nearly conceded a goal against Roma for the same reason, but was fortunate they did not take advantage of the mistake. And he got caught in no man's land on the goal he conceded against Hellas Verona. That wasn't entirely his fault, but that goal ultimately forced us to play in the playout. Now, early in the season, Idasiak also struggled to hold on to the ball, but his hands improved as the season wore on, and by the end of the season, he was very assured in the air. The positive from all of that is that he's aggressive and confident coming off his line, so if he improves his read of the flight of the ball, and therefore makes wiser decisions, then I think he could be even better than he already is. Perhaps Idasiak's best quality is his shot-stopping abilities. I can't think of a single goal he conceded this season that was the result of just poor shot-stopping. Now, on Tuesday, Corriere della Mezzogiorno reported that Idasic will be Napoli's third goalkeeper behind Alex Meret and possibly Salvatore Sirigu as the backup. The paper claims that Napoli have rejected offers from Radomiak in the Polish Ekstraklasa as well as from teams in the second division of Polish football. I'm not quite sure what to make of this report because about a month ago, Idasic's agent Massimiliano Simeone gave an interview to Calcio Napoli 24 where he said it would be a quote, technical assassination to make Idasic the third keeper. He said Idasic needs to play regularly and that he hopes he can grow like Contini has. Simeone added that he believes Idasic will be ready to play in Serie A in two seasons. Now, it could be that it was Idasic himself who insisted on staying because Simeone did admit in that interview that the young keeper would in fact like to stay with Napoli. Wherever he ends up, it seems like Valerio Bofelli is ready to take the reins as the starting goalkeeper with the Primavera. Idasic was called up to the senior team on a couple of occasions this season and Bofelli did a solid job covering for him, so I think Bofelli's pretty much secured that role when Idasic moves on. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about Giuseppe D'Agostino, Coli Sacco, and a few other players to keep your eyes on. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll close this Primavera special with a profile of a few other players to keep an eye on, starting with Giuseppe D'Agostino. Like Chofi, D'Agostino was one of our most promising players heading into this season. In 2020-21, he had 4 goals and 10 assists in only 20 appearances. He also added 2 assists in the Coppa Italia Primavera. This season, he had 5 goals and 5 assists in 33 appearances, and he added an assist in the playout. Even though a couple of those goals were the result of fortuitous bounces, that is still decent production considering the competition in Primavera Uno, but like Chofi, I think D'Agostino struggled to adapt to the new formation. In the previous season, he played predominantly as a second striker. Of course, there can only be one striker in a 3-4-2-1, so D'Agostino had to adjust to playing as a trequartista. Then, due to simultaneous injuries to Domenico Di Donna and Matteo Marchizano, D'Agostino was used as a right wing back. Now, initially, I was very skeptical about that, but he grew into the role and ultimately took over as the starter, even after Di Donna and Marquisano recovered from their injuries. 
That allowed Frustalupi to get Ambrosino, Vergara, Chofi, and D'Agostino all on the pitch at the same time. The one concern I have with D'Agostino is his size. He's listed at 1.63 meters or 5 feet 4 inches tall, so he's very small. Now obviously short players can make it. We've seen players like Fabrizio Micoli, Sebastian Jovinko, and of course Lorenzo Insigne make it. But it's always more difficult for smaller players to break through just because clubs are skeptical about their size, so they tend to get fewer opportunities. Another player to keep an eye on is midfielder Coli Sacco. He signed with Napoli this season on a free transfer after he was released by Milan. I mentioned D'Agostino being too small. Sacco might just be too big. He is an absolute giant. The central midfielder is 1.97 meters or 6 feet 5 inches tall, so he towers over most of the players around him. Sacco plays in the pivot of the 3-4-2-1, and I think his role varied depending on the circumstances. If we had a lead, he would sit just in front of the back line and eat up any balls played in the air. If we were behind, he would try to get forward and help in the attack. He didn't score a ton of goals, but when he did score, they tended to be very important goals. He scored a total of 5 goals on the season and added 2 assists. His first goal had to be against Milan, the club who released him. That was probably his best match of the season. His third goal was a 91st minute equalizer against Torino to salvage a very important point late in the season. Then he scored in both legs of the relegation playout against Genoa. In the first leg, he scored the equalizer in the 89th minute, and then he scored the winner in the second leg. Sacco was also very useful in transitioning from defense to attack. Again, with that length, he would often intercept passes in the middle of the park, and we actually scored a couple of goals on the counterattack this season on plays that started with Sacco intercepting a pass in the Napoli half. The one knock on Sacco's game is he does tend to get into the official's book quite often. He accumulated 10 yellow cards and one red card over 29 appearances this season. Now, in fairness, the straight red against Inter was a really poor decision by the official. Sacco hardly touched the Inter player, and he shamelessly threw himself to the ground and got the decision. The yellow cards were often professional fouls. The downside of being so big is that he does not have the pace to keep up with most attacking midfielders, and he's often forced to make these professional fouls. I did feel really sorry for Sacco at one point this season. He got just one call up to the senior team, but then he tested positive for COVID, so he was not able to make the trip. Hopefully, he'll get an opportunity during the summer retreats to try out for the senior team. Ultimately, I don't think he will get in, but at least he'll get to be around the squad. We'll see what happens with Sacco next season. He is also from the class of 2002, meaning he will be 20 years old at the start of next season. I suspect he will be loaned to a Serie Chi club or to a club in a lower-ranked league in Europe, but I'm hoping there will be some interest from Serie B clubs as well. I'll close by very quickly running through a few names that didn't necessarily draw a lot of attention, perhaps because of their positions, but I think have a lot of potential. First, you have the two central midfielders in Alessandro Spavone and Gennaro Iaccherino. Spavone's contract was recently extended, so Napoli must see the potential there as well. Iaccherino was really unfortunate. He tore his ACL in the very first match of the season and didn't return until match day 26. He made two appearances off the bench and then started every match after that, including the two playout matches. 
Both are from the class of 2004, so I think we'll see both of them with the Primavera again next season. Then we have our three center backs, Daniel Hisai, Benedetto Barba, and this season's captain, Davide Costanzo. They were our most reliable players this season, particularly Barba and Costanzo. Unfortunately, Hisai missed some time due to a broken nose. Hisai is a 2004, so I think he will stay with the Primavera for another season. Barba is a 2003, and Costanzo is a 2002, so they could both go out on loan. I'd suggest both of them would benefit from playing in Serie Chi. I don't think either of them are quite ready for Serie B yet. Barba needs to add a bit of muscle before he can make the step up. Costanzo has the build of a strong athletic center back, but his decision making and general play could improve in Serie Chi. In terms of next season's Primavera, I think a number of players are ready to play a more prominent role. That's pretty standard for the Primavera as the 19 and 20 year olds move on, the 17 and 18 year olds step up. I've already mentioned Bofelli, Maranzino, and Pesce. Pasquale Pontillo made a few starts at center back this season, so I think he could become a regular starter with Costanzo and possibly Barba departing. If D'Agostino leaves, Di Donna and Marquisano will compete for his position at right wing back, while Enrico Giannini should take over for Davide Acampa at left wing back. Francesco Gioielli played the most of any of the substitute players, so he will likely replace Coli Sacco in the center of the midfield. And finally, I think Giovanni Mercurio, who we signed from Bari at the start of the season, will fill the void left by Vergara. So that will do it for our Primavera special. That will also do it for season three. I just want to take a moment to thank everyone I've interacted with this season from our patrons to everyone who listened to the show and interacted with me on social media. We had some great guests this season, which will continue in season four. We also told some great stories through Forza Napoli Worldwide, which will continue as well. If I didn't get to you this season, feel free to send me a DM and we'll try to get you on for season four. Also, I'm always looking for ways to improve the show, so if you have any ideas or subjects you would like me to explore, please reach out. The last three episodes were all suggested by listeners and followers of the show, and they were all very well received. If there's something you want to know more about, chances are others feel the same way. I'll also be revealing our brand new logo on July 1st, so keep an eye on our social media accounts for that. Speaking of social media, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortzanapoli Pod. Be sure to check out our Twitter page for our final Napolitan song of the season. This week's song is Enzo Avitabile's Mane Mane featuring Dabi Ture from his 2012 album Black Tarantella. Avitabile is a very popular Napolitan musician, so much so that in 2012, the same year he produced Black Tarantella, Jonathan Demme made a documentary about him called Enzo Avitabile Music Life. Avitabile started out playing the saxophone, but he's become an incredibly talented musician and songwriter. In 2017, he won two Donatello Awards, both for the movie Lee Indivisibili. One was for Best Song, and the other was for Best Soundtrack. So be sure to check that out. This is the end of Season 3, but Season 4 will pretty much start right away. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!
Gold Podcast Network.